Well, I want to welcome you to Grace Church this morning, especially if it's your first time. We're just really thankful that you've come to check us out a little bit. Um, we're going to continue. Last weekend, my wife started a new series, and I'm going to continue it today on relationships. And uh, today's title is Battle Lines, How to Fight Right in Family Conflict. And we'll try to have a little fun with this, okay? Because fights are not fun usually, but um, I'll start with this. A, a married couple had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. I know nobody here has ever done that before. So, um, But a few days into that cold shoulder treatment, the man realized he needed his wife's help. That usually happens. And in order to catch a flight the next day to his work, um, he had to leave from Chicago and get up early about 5 a.m. to catch that flight. But his pride, uh, no, man, no man has ever done this before, I'm sure. I'm the only one. But his pride wouldn't allow him to be the first to break the silent treatment. And uh, so he wrote on a piece of paper, wake me up at 5 a.m. Well, the next morning, man woke up and it's already 9 o'clock. His wife is out of bed. At, his wife's in the kitchen cooking and he's long missed his flight and he's about ready to jolt out of bed with anger and his hand hits a piece of paper he looks at that piece of paper and it says it's 5 a.m. get up <laughs> you'll get that on the way home but it's really part of life isn't it that we all have conflict we all face it um, we all have to experience conflict in our lives but the question is, can we get to a place, can we get better at handling that conflict, and how do we get there? So today we're going to begin by taking a little survey that I've got for you and discover what type of fighter you are. And everybody's some kind of fighter. We all have conflict. We all fight. Then I'm going to share with you one source, one source of all conflict, and then we'll pray together. So let's take this little survey. You'll put that survey up here. Which are you? You can look in your handout too. Are you a screamer? Are you a peacemaker? Are you a sulker? Are you a winner? Or are you a litigator? Are you a screamer, a peacemaker, a sulker, a winner, or a litigator? Let me explain what they are. A screamer, I'm going to give you a positive and a negative on both of these, or all of these, and you can kind of see, why is everybody laughing? You, you know what you are already? <laughs> or you're jabbing somebody next to you. Uh, but the negative part of a screamer is your personality can change on a dime. You can be super sweet and then all of a sudden something ticks you off and you just become a screamer. Uh, the positive side is that you're able to get things off your chest pretty good. And so you don't keep things down in there and uh, uh, cause all kinds of physical ailments. If you come from a screaming family, the norm is to puff up, to blow up, to apologize, to patch up and repair. And then you do this crazy, I'm not a screamer, my wife is. Uh, she's not in here, she's down there working. So uh, I may say some things, I may get in trouble, so let's just keep it in the room today. Um, but. What, what you screamers do, you, you do all that and then you patch up and then you act like nothing ever happened. I, I don't know how that is possible, but it, it's, it, that's what you guys do. 
But if you marry into a, a screaming family, you may not know what you've got yourself into if you don't come from that kind of thing. The peacemaker. The negative part of a peacemaker is that you avoid conflict. Um, and I want to say right now that conflict, not all conflict is bad. Some conflict is unhealthy, but a lot of it's good. There's, there can be good, positive conflict in our lives, and, and we progress through conflict if we learn how to handle it correctly, or, or better, at least. So the negative side of a peacemaker, there, you know, to escalate is wrong, to escalate is, is bad, so you try to de-escalate things, and, and you're constantly doing that. Conflict avoidance can be debilitating. It can be uh, damaging to relationships because conflict is often necessary and much of it is good. The positive side of a peacemaker is that you're a pretty good negotiator. You, you, know, you can see the good in both sides of, 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 of the situation. The next is a sulker. The negative side of a sulker is that your weapon of choice is a silent treatment. And I tend to get into this, and it was hard for me when I was first married to talk. I, I pent things up, and, and then it would come out in a, a way I, did, I, I regretted later. It just wasn't a good thing. Um, but the positive side of the sulker is you're pretty good at restraining yourself from saying things and doing things that later you would regret. And a lot of times we do regret. Um, passivity can be detrimental in a relationship. The other person knows something is brewing, but it never really comes to the surface, so they're kind of left in the dark, groping around, and it drives screamers crazy because they just want to get to the bottom of it. Um, so this is one that I kind of tend toward naturally, and also the next one. I, I'm a weird kind of person. I I kind of swing back and forth, and the other part that I swing to is the next one, the winner. And the negative part about the winner is that you'll win at all costs. It doesn't matter if there's dead bodies all around. You're going to win, and then when you win, you feel pretty good about things. You know, everybody can be dead and hurting around you, but you feel pretty good because you won. Um, so that's the negative side on it, but the positive side of the winner is that you don't give up very easily. And so you'll, you're like a bulldog. You know, you're just going to stay with it and, and you'll stick in that relationship until you get to resolution and, and you'll get to, uh, to some, some kind of solution there. And then the last one is the litigator. Um, and what you can do in, in these, as you're looking at these, you may be one primarily and then another one sometimes. So what I want you to do is kind of circle the one that you're primary and then check next to the one that another one or two that might be pretty strong in your life too. It helps to look at these things and see what we are so that we can work with each other. The last one is the litigator. The positive thing about the litigator is that you have a very strong sense of justice. The negative side is it's very difficult for you to see the rightness or even the view, whether, right or, whether it's right or wrong, of the other side. So when you get in conflict, you're right and they're wrong. That's all there is to it. So you litigate. You, you, uh, you put your... Litigators, you guys, you know what you are. You can argue. 
right? I mean, you, you, can, you can get in an argument and you'll win. So a litigator a lot of times matched with a winner. Um, when it comes to conflict, I've been married to a, a gator, I mean a litigator. <laughs> There's a reason why that word gator is in there because you can chew somebody up so fast uh, you know, they don't even know what, ha what hit them. Um, I've been married to a, a litigator for 30 years, and I know what it's like to argue with a litigator. I ain't got a chance. I have not got a chance. And I learned that early on. It, it's just like going to a, a duel with a cannon. I'm the cannon, and she's the machine gun. I can't even get that cannon loaded yet. And she's, you know, she, she's got me already, and I'm just getting shot. And I'm on the ground, figuratively trying to come up with my one, and I'll start to say, you know what I was thinking? <laughs> and there's just no use. She's got me tore up before I even, and I'm not dumb, but I takes me a while to get my thoughts together and so you got to work with each other on where you are and there's positives and negatives on all of these so would you do this would you circle the one that you are the most and we'll come back to that here in a minute and then check by the ones that seem to have an influence in your life the screamer peacemaker sulker winner or litigator now here's a couple of helpful ideas I think Remember this, when it comes to conflict, we all have conflict in our lives. You probably had some this week. But conflict at home is really different than conflict anywhere else. Like in a football field, you can be in a conflict in a football field or basketball court, and you come away a winner on that, and you can win, and you feel good about it. You can never really win at home in conflict if you're the only one that's winning. Okay? So conflict at home is completely different than uh, conflict anywhere else because you can win a battle at home and lose a whole marriage. You can lose a whole relationship. And you've got to ask yourself the question, is this really worth winning? A lot of times you have to ask that. And number two, another helpful idea, I, I think, is we all process conflict differently, and that's the purpose of this little survey. And number three, and this is one that we've got to kind of keep in mind as we go further into this, is that most of us are really ill-prepared from our life experience, our upbringing, and our understanding on how to deal positively with conflict. But James, one of the writers in the New Testament, grew up with Jesus. He was the Lord's brother, a younger brother. And fortunately, he jotted down a few things that's going to help us today on dealing with conflict. According to James, he said, there's really only one source of conflict. Only one source of conflict. One? You might ask, but what about money? What about, doesn't money cause us a lot of conflict? Doesn't, doesn't our, our kids, our different disagreements about how to raise our kids, isn't that one of, isn't insensitivity to my needs, isn't that one of them? Isn't there a million and one different things that cause conflict? James says there's one. There's one source of conflict. 
Oh, I know what you mean. You mean it's the devil. No, I'm not talking about the devil. Even though he's involved in this, that's not what we're talking about. So the devil appeared to this one guy, and he, he said, I'm the devil. You scared of me? He said, no. Why not? Because I'm used to your family. I married your sister. <laughs> I just had to give that to you. I, I just loved that. I cracked up when I read that. But James got to see a, a different family dynamic than probably any of us will ever be blessed to see. Interesting thing. You, you know, you think about Jesus' family. His family was dysfunctional because the rest of them were just as human as any of us. Mary and Joseph were dysfunctional, and all the brothers and sisters were dysfunctional. The only one that wasn't dysfunctional was Jesus because he's perfect. Now, James did notice this, and that family, he saw all the dysfunction, but he knows that Jesus was different. So James later wrote, he said, what is the cause of strife? We're going to get into this verse. I don't have it for you right now, but I'll bring it up here in just a second. What is the cause of strife among you? James knows that it, was, it, it wasn't a lot of things. He, James knew that it was just one thing that was the cause or the source of conflict. So think about some conflict that you've had recently or that you can think of in your life. What caused it? And you could probably easily think of that situation. You can probably come up with two, three, maybe even more things that caused that. And usually it's the other person, right? You think about that conflict? Well, they didn't do this. They didn't see things this way. And it caused conflict. And we can easily get into this blame game so easily. We slip into that. That's our natural go-to. And it started way at the beginning. Adam, when he slipped into sin... The first initial sin of mankind, when he slipped into sin, he initially and immediately blamed. And he said, God, it's the woman that you gave me. In, in one sentence, in one minute, in one, one brief moment, he blamed, two peop he, he blamed two other entities. He blamed God and he blamed the woman. And the woman turned around and blamed. They were all blaming. Nobody took responsibility. And don't think that you don't have this amazing ability to. We're all programmed to see the other person's faults before we ever see our own. It's so easy to see other people's faults. It's so easy to see that your hair is messed up and not mine. You can't see that my hair is messed up because I don't have any hair anymore. So you can't blame others. Listen to this. You can't blame other people continually and be a happy person. It's impossible. Jesus said, happy. The word is blessed in some translation. The Hebrew actually means happy. It's okay to be happy. He said, happy are those who give mercy because they will be given mercy. So if I'm playing this game of blaming my, the people that are closest to me or people at work or, or whoever, if I'm playing that blame game, then I'm not going to be a happy person because it's impossible. So the principle is, if I give mercy, then mercy will come back to me, according to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to learn how to fight? 
we naturally have that ability to not get along, <laughs> uh, to guard our turf, or to fight for what we want. And what we have to do is learn how to go against our natural tendencies of fighting and not getting along, of becoming defensive, of controlling. There's all kinds of, of ways that these, are, these negative emotions are expressed, of lashing out with our words or holding up and not saying anything, doing that silent thing. I'm not the best swimmer in the world, but a couple years ago I thought, well, you know, a little bit older, my joints might be a little bit better off if I learned how to swim and do it a little bit better than I do and maybe use that as part of my workout re routine. And I, I'm the kind of person, I really enjoy working out and, and lifting weights and doing treadmill and all that and I do it four or five times a, a week. And um, I thought if I just add some swimming in there, Maybe I had some friends that were swimmers, and I thought, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete. I, I, I'm older, but I'm decent. You know, I can probably pick this up pretty quick. So I watched a couple YouTubes and, and watched uh, how to do that little flippy thing at the end. You know, you swim a, a, a lap, and my daughter, one of my daughters was a swimmer, and she was pretty good at that, what do you call that flippy thing? Just a turn, I guess. You know, when you get to the wall and you... Nobody swims here, I guess. And dive and push off the wall underwater and come inside. So I watched how they did that on YouTube and got instructed in. And I watched Michael Phelps do it a hundred times. And it's like, yeah, I got this. So I go to the center and where I work out and go in there. And, you know, it's funny because this is kind of a pig trail. But women and men have different thoughts and self-talk. Because women, like... The first time they're saying, oh, I'm fat, I can, you know, I can't, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm a lot heavier than I used to be, but I'm thinking, oh, this will help me float a little bit better, you know. <laughs> you know, so I'm in there, and, and I'm thinking, this is going to be easy. I jump in the pool, and I swim, and I, you know, that pool's not that big, and I'm thinking, this is requiring a lot more energy than I thought it would. And I get close to the wall, and I'm thinking, okay, so what do I do? I, I, I flip, I turn. I dive, I push off, no problem. Well, somewhere in between flip and turn, I got disoriented and confused. I didn't know what way was up and down, and I hit my feet with the wall when I flipped, and that hurt, and I went down, hit my head on the bottom, came back up. It must have been it probably just a couple seconds, but it seemed like seven minutes I was under. I finally break the surface, <gasps> and I stand up, and I'm just totally humiliated. And Dr. Escobar, Mitch Escobar, is over there just effortlessly going back and forth with his laughs. He stops. He goes, Dave, are you all right? Never better. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how does he do this? He's just going back and forth, back and forth, getting some great exercise. So finally, I bite my pride and I say, Mitch, show me how to do this. And he said, well, the first thing is you've got to go against your natural inclination to fight the water. The water is your friend. Oh, it is. Okay. Fight your natural inclination to struggle against the water. And remember, the water is your friend. It's going to help you. So 
work with it. And he gave me some things that helped me out. I swam one day, that was it. I went back to lifting weights and doing all the other kinds of stuff. But I got to thinking about that when it comes to our arguments, the way that we fight. If you go to the natural inclinations that you have, you're going to struggle in your relationships. You've got to fight that natural inclination and go the opposite direction because your go-to will always go too far. Are you getting it? So if you're a natural screamer, you're going to scream too much. And it may turn into something that you regret later. You're going to say things, do things, that, and think things that you ought not think, say, or do. And you'll regret it, and you'll have to make a lot of apologies. And you may kill your relationships. And this is what James is going to, we're going to get this verse here in just a minute. And you're going to see, this is what James says. He's talking to followers of Christ, and he says, you're killing yourselves. You're killing yourselves in, in the most precious relationships that you got. You're just killing them because you're just doing what you're naturally inclined to do. And he says, you've got to learn to walk and follow the love walk. And if you'll do that and not do what you normally go to do, and you'll just begin to reach out to the other person and think about their needs and what they want and not so much what you want, then you can come together and there'll be peace and there'll be harmony. He wasn't talking to murderers. He wasn't talking, he, but he says, you're killing each other. And we'll see that here in just a minute. But what is the natural inclination for a screamer? Natural inclination is for you to attack and scream and get vocal and escalate. And what's the natural inclination for a sulker to do? Just to withdraw and not talk and put the cold shoulder up. And neither of them at their extremes are healthy. So what is the screamer supposed to do? They need to learn to direct. It's okay to be a screamer. It's okay to be a sulker. That's your natural tendency. But learn to work with it. And for a screamer, it, you need to express yourself in a way that's positive and tone it down a little bit so that the sulker can come out of his shell or her shell. And if you'll do that, you'll find great profit, even in conflict. It'll be amazing what, what God can do. So the real source of conflict, let's get into this now. What is that one real source of conflict of of conflict and fighting, and we're going to see that it comes within us. The real source of conflict, you jot this down. The real source of conflict and fighting comes within us. It's not the other person, it's within us. It's within us. So let's look at this in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? that battle within you. So the fight and the quarrel, okay, that person may have done something, said something that's nasty or demeaning to you, but the quarrel and the fight is not coming from them, it's coming from you. All right? It's coming from you. And that battle is within you. Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. I'm not talking about bang, bang, murder, all that kind of thing. He's talking about you're killing your relationships because you don't know how to handle this. And he says you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. So the primary cause of conflict is me wanting what I want at the expense of another person and what they want. 
and I try to control you by my desires. And it's not that some of these desires aren't legitimate because they are. But again, we can kill our relationships if we'll just run over people with our natural inclinations, our natural tendencies. It's interesting. Um, in any kind of marriage counseling, any kind of relationship counseling, there's usually three areas that, that are always brought up, and I've, I use them too in, in counseling, and have for years, and, and they're true. And you can look at the conflict in your family, in your relationships. These are the three, especially a marriage relationship, is communication, sex, and money. Those are the three areas. Communication, sex, and money. Those are the three areas of conflict. We don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to express our sexual needs. We don't know how to handle our disagreements on how we're going to handle money. I would add a fourth, and it would be children. Uh, but I guess what you could do is you could take children, and they kind of fit in any one of those. Uh, because if you've got kids running around, then you're going to have trouble with uh, communication. You're going to be, uh, not trouble, but you'll have more uh, challenges when it comes to communication. You'll have more uh, challenges trying to find a safe place in the home somewhere where you can be intimate. <laughs> yeah, that happened to us a lot. I had four of them running around all the time. And then, uh, and then money, because children, they, uh, they cost a lot. <laughs> so those are the three areas or four, however you want to look at it. It's, it's interesting. Um, I was listening to Andy Stanley, and, and he said that what he does in marriage counseling when a couple has got to a place, and he's done it for years and years, when they got to a place where they just couldn't resolve a conflict, he give them a pie graph. And if you put that pie graph up, he would give them this, and without any of the writing, not the percentage part on there, but he'd just give them an open pie graph and a pencil. And he said, what I want you to do, I want you to look at this pie graph, and I want you to draw on that pie graph uh, a portion of the pie that is, is your fault. And he gave one to each of them, the, the husband or the wife. And he says, I want you to draw, you know, is it, how much is, of it is your fault? Is it this much or is it more? How much of it is your responsibility? He said, in all the years that I've done that, not one person would take that pencil and draw on the pie chart, on the pie graph. Because nobody would take responsibility for their part of the conflict. You know what happens when you take responsibility for your part in a conflict? Tension leaves the room. And you know why there's so much tension in our relationships? When we don't accept responsibility because that other person knows that you're part of the problem and you won't admit it. And you know that other person's part of the problem and they won't admit it. And so there's tension, tension, tension. But as soon as somebody, who will it be? And I'm asking you today, and I'm challenging you today, is this going to be you? Are you going to be the leader in this relationship? Are you going to be the servant? Are you going to be the one that has the most Jesus in you that is a servant leader who will take the initiative and say, you know, I messed this up, I screwed this up, and this part of this problem, this challenge is, is all on me. It's all on me. 
and I'm taking that responsibility. What percentage of the pie graph? So think about the situations that you're in right now. Maybe there's some conflict. What part of that pie can you cut off? What slice and say, you know, this is me right here. I, am not be, I, I have not taken responsibility for this area right here, and I'm going to do that right now. And accept that. Embrace that. And when you do that, you watch what it will do for that relationship. When you go to that person and you say, you know, I've really messed up. I've done this over and over and over. And now my wife and I kind of have this unwritten, unspoken competition to see who of us can get to this place first and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong in this, in this, and pick one thing. And then you can come it's amazing what it does because it just de-escalates it and then you b begin to be compassionate for the other person. So I'm asking you right now, be reasonable. What is the part of that pot that you can say, you know, that's my fault? Humility. Let me talk to you just a few minutes, uh, or a couple minutes, about humility because humility is one of the greatest things that God is working in all of our lives all the time. It's on the top nine list of what the Holy Spirit works in us, is humility. And humility is not an easy thing. That's why God continually runs people across your path that rub you the wrong way. So you can grow in humility. You can get a lot of amens right there, but that is so true, isn't it? And that's why opposites attract so much of the time in relationships. And the other person just drive you. But God says, like, yeah, I know what you're excited about, but I'm excited about the growth that you're going to have. Thank you, Don, for giving me that confirmation there. But humility is so, so important. Uh, we see it in Peter's life. Humility is something that's learned. It's something that has to grow and develop. It is not... It, again, it's not easy. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, we, we watch Peter, the follower of Christ. You know, he was an enthusiastic follower of Jesus, one of his closest boys. And he had trouble with humility. He even said to Jesus, he said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And you said, well, I can't have any part in you then. You won't humble yourself so that I can wash your feet? He said, wash everything. He said, no, I don't need to wash your feet. I just need to wash your feet. He said, no, Peter, at one point he said, no, you're not die for me. You'll not die. You'll not die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus was trying to get across to him humility. In the Garden of, of Gethsemane, Jesus' final moments on earth, and Peter was not a humble man in the Garden. He drew his sword. He cut person's ear off and Jesus what are you doing put it back on and healed him humility is one of the toughest things we have to learn but it's essential if we want to progress in our relationships whatever your relationships are work family it doesn't matter humility is critical so allow and cooperate with the Holy Spirit allow him to produce that humility in you. So I have one question to help us to test ourselves on this humility element of humility, this humility quotient, however you want to say it. 
uh, and it's most important because without humility, your relationships will never progress. So here's a question, and I ask you today this question. Can trusted people talk to me about what is wrong without me becoming defensive? That's a hard, hard question. So many people in our lives want to help us. They want to be our friends. But they can see what's wrong. That doesn't mean that you're an open book to everyone. All right, let's put a little disclaimer here, a little qualification here. It doesn't mean that everybody, because not everybody's got your best interest in mind. But there are some people, you pick your powwow. And you decide who's going to be the ones that inform you in your life. But ask God to help you to open up your heart and be willing for them to inform you when you're wrong. They can see things that you can't see. We all have blind spots. And it takes humility to open up and say, you know, I... I see that you, you got an attitude there that's not helpful. Oh, really? Do I? <laughs> yeah. And so you, you humble yourself and you receive that. And you're going to be a better person for it. You'll grow in areas that you won't be able to grow in in any other way. Can trusted people talk to me about what's wrong with me without me becoming defensive? Can you receive... Cr- constructive criticism. Let's go back and finish this in James. James chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3 there. You do not have because, and I'm going to finish with this point. Don't tune me out yet because we're not quite finished with this. This is really important. This is one of the things that James brings out that it behoove us if we would apply this to our lives. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on what you, what you get on your pleasures. So really what, what boils down to, we don't humble ourselves so, and, and because we get greedy. We want what we want. And James says, that's the source of the problem. Let's think about what the other person wants and then do this it's just a two-part thing here that James gives us but there's it's a one-two punch to get strife out of your relationships and the second part of the, the second punch is this ask God ask God for help ask God for help when you're in conflict the best way to get through that conflict and profit from the conflict is to ask God to pray. Now, last time, Diane shared a couple things and made me sound pretty good. She said about a recent time when we had an episode or a discussion. I don't know what you guys call it. We usually call it discussion, you know. But she talked about when she unloaded on me and I wasn't, I was just minding my own business. She came in and she unloaded and you, you're not doing this and this and this and, and, uh, and I just, like I said, I'm a cannon slow winder, and it's like boom, 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 boom. And I didn't even have time to reply. And finally, I just told her, you know, if you, if you just leave me alone for a minute, let me process this, and, and then we'll talk. And I did. It took me about five minutes, and then I, 
went out to her. I said, let's just start praying because I had no idea what you're talking about. And so we started praying and we got to resolution pretty quickly through that. But usually I don't, I don't react like that. She made it sound like I always, I'm not always like that. <laughs> the winner in me comes up and gets defensive and I usually react wrongly. Um, but through the years, 30 years of being with the same woman, that gives you some, some great skills. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. But um, some grace and some latitude that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. And just mainly compassion. And it's just nice to know that we can get through some of these things. But over all this time, the one thing, the one thing that's helped us more than anything else is to ask God. It's so simple. And here's why it's so important. Because even though I've been with her for over 30 years, I do not understand that woman. She does not understand me. I don't even understand me. And you don't understand you. Because your heart is incredibly, my heart is incredibly deceptive. It's so difficult to see myself, so difficult to see her, so difficult for her to see. We need God because he knows us all. And he knows the intimate details of our life, our hurts, our problems, our, str our, our struggles, our challenges. He knows everything about us and he can show us what we need. And he can open up our eyes to that other person's needs. And with him, when we ask him for help, things go much, much better. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I can say that after 30 years, we have a wonderful relationship. We have a wonderful marriage. It's the most important relationship of my life. And I wouldn't let anything threaten that. And I protect it diligently. And there's a lot we can say about that, but that's so important to me. But without God, I ain't got a chance. But if you'll ask God, you will be amazed at what he shows you about the other person, about yourself. And most of all, you'll be amazed at what you see about God. Because those relationships he's given us so that we can see him better. We can walk in his love better. And God's awesome. Isn't he? Well, that's all I've got for now. We'll get into this a little bit more next time. I really want you to think about some of these things. And next week, you don't want to miss because we're going to be talking about kids. We're going to be talking about the, our relationship with our children, our experiences that we've had four of them, and they're all grown out of the house now, and now we have a grandchild. And um, so I had a lot of experiences with that. Scripture has a lot to say about it. But again, natural inclinations don't usually work. We're going to talk about how to find that natural bent that, that each child has and how important that is. I'd like you to look around and see if there's somebody around in your relationships, your networks of friendships and family that might 
benefit from this and invite them next week. So let me pray for us. And um, if you'll do this, uh, just go ahead and stand up. Would you close your eyes and bow your head for a second? I just want to give you a simple invitation. We were talking about humility. One of the greatest acts of humility is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, could I encourage you to do that right now? Because you don't want to leave this building not knowing that you don't have a home in heaven when you die. Would you seriously consider surrendering and humbling yourself before Jesus Christ right now? And maybe you've already done that. Maybe, you, yeah, Dave, I've, I've done that. I surrendered my heart to Jesus a long time ago, but some things happened, and, you know, I got burnt out. I got, got uh, had some conflict in my life, and some things didn't work out, and I began to blame God, and so I've been kind of walking away from Him, and, but now I want to come back, and I want to surrender to Him again, and I want to humble myself before Him and walk with Him. That I want to encourage you in that. Because as you do that, you are, you are showing humility before the Creator, who is the most mighty one. But the thing about that, what you're going to learn about Jesus is that He is the most humble one too. He would never lead you into something that He wouldn't go. He wouldn't lead you to a place where He wouldn't go. He wouldn't ask you to do anything that He wouldn't do. That's what's so beautiful about our Savior. I want to encourage you to surrender your heart to Jesus again right now. It doesn't mean that you're going to get born again and again. It just means that you're renewing your commitment to Christ. And then third and last and final invitation I want to give you is, you say, Dave, well, I, you know, what you've been saying is making so much sense. I've got conflict in my life, and I don't know how to resolve it. Well, the first thing that we're going to do, we're going to go to God because He knows. He knows how to handle it. He knows how to help you. And you say, well, Dave, I've got conflict in my life, and I don't know how to handle it. I want to ask God, would you pray for me? Yes. And we're going to pray together because we're a body here. And we care about each other. So we're going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, for anyone that is responding to one of these three invitations, let us come to you and ask you to help each of us surrender to you brand new, afresh. And put you at number one. Not take you for granted, but follow you with all of our hearts. We humble ourselves before you right now. Jesus Christ, come into our hearts if he's not there already. Come into our hearts right now in Jesus' name. I surrender myself before you now, Father. You're praying this prayer where you are right now in the privacy of your own heart. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just asking you to surrender your heart before God. It's between you and God, and we're supportive of you. And Father, for those of us that are coming to a place again where we need to surrender ourselves again because we got off the track and, we, and you, you, we can play around with it, but we know that you're not number one. We want to follow you. Number one, you're, you're the primary relationship in our lives. God, help each one of us to do that right now. 
And Father, I want to pray for those of us that have conflict in our lives right now, especially those of us, because conflict comes to all of us, but some of us are in conflict that we just can't figure out. It might be at work. It might be at home. Some of these things are just really difficult. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know how to handle that relationship. And I ask you, God, that you would give us wisdom. We come to you right now. Give us some some ideas, some insights, some premonitions, some, some movement in our heart to do something, say something that would come from heaven right now so that it will bring peace to that situation. God, help us not to go to our natural inclination, whether it be scream or to sulk or any of the other ones, but help us to control how we are reacting, to be considerate of the other person's needs, and to take responsibility for our slice of the pie. And Father, bring peace. Bring resolution. Holy Spirit, we asked you when we first sang this morning that you're welcome here to overwhelm us to will you do that right now overwhelm us with love in that situation of conflict and bring peace that passes all understanding in jesus name amen amen